It's really good to be back with you in Charleston at First Christian Church this morning. We had a nice vacation with family at uh, Disney World. And the nice thing about Disney World is they observe all 12 days of Christmas. So the Christmas things were up until January 5th, and maybe even still up January 6th. But it was a bit of a shock on January 7th to go out and see that the giant Christmas trees and the bright Christmas lights were down. January 6th is the day of Epiphany. We celebrate this day as the first Sunday of Epiphany. So our Christmas tree is shining its light in the sanctuary one last Sunday. Somebody asked me what was new at Disney World this year, and I had to think for a minute, but new at Disney World was a flying kite show over the water at the Animal Kingdom. One of the shows with giant kites, which for the most part are more like Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade floats than like normal kites. One of those programs was Simba flying across the lake. The first time we saw it, Simba did not get inflated, so uh, he was not up flying around the lake. But my niece went the second time and assured us that Simba rose up, the Lion King. Where is he who's been born King of the Jews? January 6th is the day of Epiphany, and this is the first Sunday of Epiphany. Epiphany is a season in which we think about kings. Now, these kings we know by name. The first king of the day is named Herod the Great. He's a Roman client king of Judea. Herod the Great was not a king of Judah in the line of King David. No, Herod the Great was an Idumean south of Jerusalem, named king of the Roman province Judea by the Roman Senate. His father had been one of Julius Caesar's favorites and had handled governmental affairs for Rome in Judea without any royal title. Herod the Great is best known for his colossal building projects throughout Judea, including the renovation of the Second Temple in Jerusalem, such a grand renovation that Herod's temple became called the Third Temple, with its extension of the Temple Mount toward the north. His construction of the port at Caesarea Maritima, his construction of the fortress at Masada, and then the Herodium outside Bethlehem, where Herod the Great was buried. Of course, Herod the Great is best known for being the king when Jesus was born, himself dying not too long after that, but not before he was able to give his order to kill the baby boys in Bethlehem. Herod the Great was the king of Jesus' birth, but he's not the Herod that we read about during the rest of Jesus' life. After King Herod the Great's death, the kingdom was divided among four of Herod's many children, but Rome granted that title king to none of them. They were called tetrarchs, ruler of a fourth, or ethnarchs, ruler of an ethnic group. They, would, they were Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, Philip, and a daughter who had her own little kingdom, Salome I. Second kings of this epiphany season, whom we remember today, are those three kings of whom we sing. The biblical magi referred to as 
the three wise men, were distinguished foreigners who appear only in the Gospel of Matthew in our Christian tradition. They visit Jesus after his birth, and the shining of the star and the coming of the Magi from the East represent the whole world coming to Jesus Christ, the whole world coming to bow down before him. That's work that we carry on today. We have a mission to call the whole world to bow down before Jesus Christ. Matthew reports that these magi, these wise men, came from the east to worship the king of the Jews. The gospel never mentions the number. We assume there are three because there are three gifts. But in other eastern Christian churches, especially the Syrian churches, the magi often number 12. Their identity as kings in later writings is reflective of Isaiah 60, 1 through 6, which refers to kings coming to the brightness of your dawn, bearing gold and frankincense. And Psalm 72, verse 11, may all kings fall down before him. The word magi is the plural of the Latin magus, the Greek word from which it comes earlier, magos, is itself derived from an old Persian word referring to the religious caste into which Zoroaster was born. The term refers to the priestly caste of Zoroastrianism. As a part of their religion, these priests paid particular attention to the stars and had gained an international reputation for astrology. Further identification of the Magi as kings is related Testament predictions that they would come to worship a newborn king. The New Testament does not give them names, but tradition does, and it gives them stories for their background. Balthazar is often represented as a king of Ethiopia and thus is African, Melchior as a king of Persia, and Gaspar as a king of India. Along with their names come a description of their physical characteristics. They developed as representative of the three ages of human life and of three geographical areas and of three cultural areas. In tradition reflected in the art of the 14th century, Caspar is old, normally with a white beard, and gives the gold. He is king of Tarsus, land of the merchants on the Mediterranean coast of modern Turkey, and is first in line to kneel to Christ. Melchior is middle-aged, giving frankincense from Arabia, and Balthazar is a young man, very often portrayed in black skin. Their ages are given as 60, 40, and 20, respectively, and their geographical origins were variable, with Balthazar increasingly coming from Ethiopia or other parts of Africa. All the world is coming to worship the newborn king. This epiphany is a day on which we think about kings. We've come to know these kings in the Christmas story. But the third and most important king in the Christmas story is one whom you know. And if I asked you who the most important king in the Christmas story is, you would tell me, it's Jesus. I received a Christmas poem from Alan Blythe, who is a pastor in our Stone Campbell tradition 
In Australia, the Stone-Campbell movement originated in the United States, but it has spread all across the globe, and we have a number of Christian churches in Australia. He was with my family and with me as we traveled on a tour of history, Christian history in the British Isles. I looked for the poem on the internet after he sent it to me. I could not find it. I don't know if he wrote it or if he picked it up someplace in Australia, but I want to share it with you this morning. Alan writes, when I think of a king, when I think of a king, I think of one born with luxury found everywhere. But my savior's bed was in just a cow shed that was crude and dirty and bare. When I think of a king, I think of a monarch who resides in a palace in state. But Christ was to roam without palace nor home, nor any of the things of the great. When I think of a king, I think of someone who wields authority and power from above. But my king kneels low so that all can know another power, the power of love. When I think of a king, I see someone grand in front of a vast cheering crowd. But rather than cheer, they surged forward to jeer my Christ, who was stumbling and bowed. When I think of a king, I see one who is proud, riding high on a prancing white steed. But though it seems crass, my king rode an ass and stooped down to all those in need. When I think of a king, I think of a crown, glorious and rich to behold. But my king was born to a crown of sharp thorn instead of the jewels and gold. And yet I am told that this same Jesus Christ has authority over all things. The whole of the world, the universe unfurled, he is king over all other kings. And so I'm faced with this power of love. In Christ, it's love we can know. But I'm still at a loss when I see Christ on a cross and find out just how far love can go. When you think of a king during this season of Epiphany, as we move toward Lent, think of the one who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords as he moves to the cross. His name is above all names. His name is Jesus. Jesus. 